Hello, and welcome to Trek This Out. I'm Rachel, and I am here with Suki. Hello. Drew. Hello. And Deb. Hello. And today we are going to be discussing episode three of season two of Strange New Worlds, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Fantastic. Thank you for that, no, Rachel. No, it's not. That really scared me because it's work tomorrow. Can we call it something else? Oh, we can't. We can't. Right, Rachel. Now, this is your first time on the podcast. So we'd just like a bit of a background as to how you became uh, a Star Trek fan. Sure. So I have, oh, goodness. This is similar to my Doctor Who story. Um, my father was born and raised in a hamlet called, oh, goodness, out hamlet outside of london called ealing (laughs) and um he grew up watching some of the original series and when i was a very small child in the midwestern united states he popped in a vhs tape of something called star trek and that's when i first met captain picard and the crew of the enterprise we watched those first two episodes multiple times during my childhood. And probably when I was in my teens, I realized that the other Star Trek that we had watched, Star Trek movies in the theaters when I was probably too young to see them, was the same Star Trek, but also ne- different Star Trek. This next generation thing started to make sense. Uh, so I've been immersed in Star Trek <laughs> since... A very early age. Um, very early age, both sounds of it. Yeah, so I i mean, we watched most of Next Gen in real time when I was growing up. Uh, a lot of Voyager, uh, Deep Space Nine, um, and I've got lots of lots of friends, including my partner, uh, who grew up watching Deep Space Nine and Next Gen. Uh, so that's kind of... <laughs> that's my history. Now, what I'm fascinated really is the fact that your your dad's from Ealing, and mm-hmm. now Ealing is where a lot of the early Doctor was sort of filmed. Yeah, right. So has he got any? Did he have any experience of bumping into a Dalek on one of the streets anywhere? You know, I don't know. He's never really said. He showed me. Um, I'd say we watched some of the the Dalek movies when I was a kid, um, and a few uh, a few older doctor who episodes but then once the the new who started uh was when we kind of all got into it together um so i think i shared the new who episodes with him and then you know we used to watch um that old it's a narnia miniseries that had tom baker in it as puddle glum and he used to he used to say oh that's tom baker and i didn't know who i didn't know what that meant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just until yeah, years later when he was able to show us uh, some of some of those episodes. And I actually several years ago gave him a, a Doctor Who scarf that a friend of mine knit. I think it was his height three times, I think was what we went with. So it's about six foot one times three. It's a big, big scarf, 18 foot. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now, 
Drew, I can't remember asking if we uh, the same thing to you. What's your history with uh, Star Trek? Um, well, I, I've got a, a little bit in common with Rachel. Uh, not that my dad's from Ealing, but he was a huge and is still a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, Star Trek, uh, the original series. So, I mean, I, I, I was brought up with Star Trek. The yeah. earliest memories I've got is is like making the bridge of the Enterprise with Lego. And, yeah, and it just followed from there, you know. And then Next Generation come out, loved that, and have never looked back. I've just had Star Trek in my whole life. And, uh, yeah, that's my Star Trek story. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Right, Rachel, there you go. You're back on schedule now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, so let's start with our initial thoughts on this episode. And I'm going to come to you, Deb. I I loved it. Um, uh, it. It was an episode, you can go back and think about it, and uh, there is uh, a lot that you could either criticise or you go, oh, that's related to that, and, you know, think about it. But when I was actually watching it, I was absolutely gripped just loved it i was enjoying every minute of it just just as watching it without sort of fretting about um you know where it was in the timeline how it uh fitted in um i i, I just really really enjoyed the experience of watching it good me too i like i thought it was fun how about you drew yeah i, I thought it was excellent i really really loved it uh, people quite often say oh i don't like star trek time travel episodes well i do i love time travel and as soon as they went back in time i was like this is going to be a good episode and i was very pleased with it how about you suki yes i've got to echo the, everybody else uh, it was an enjoyable episode it was a good time travel episode and it was a good character piece for lan and to a little extent uh, kirk uh, so it really ticked a lot of boxes for me so it's an enjoyable episode well i yeah i've already said i i thought it was very fun i think you know similar to as deb said um it was just a good time watching it and i didn't get hung up too much on details and, and canon and i thought they kind of uh, addressed a few things you know a little a couple winks a few little nods here and there um to kind of gloss over a few issues that folks might have um but i i thought it was really i thought it was really good and i i do enjoy the time travel episodes as well i mean sometimes differently you know some episodes in different ways sometimes i'll get a little stuck on things but uh not this one i thought it was a it was a really fun ride and i really enjoyed their choice of um you know focusing on lawn in this this episode Captain, I need to... Not to be impolite, but who are you and what are you doing on my ship? So you're telling me that there's an alternate timeline? I think you're supposed to help me. We're on a mission to protect the future of humanity. Whoa, 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 whoa! That was a person. All right. Okay, so that's our initial thoughts. We want to start getting into deeper thoughts on this episode. And how about you, Drew? Uh, well, the, the, the first thing I liked about this episode was right at the beginning. There was a Denobulan 
arguing with the uh, transporter chief, wasn't there? No, that's that's good. So there's a Nobulan in the crew of the Enterprise now. It's a, it's a, a nice little bit of a, a retcon in Enterprise, the series back into it. No, that's what I was wondering. Uh, who's a, what's a Denalbian? Where, where does they come from, and how do they fit in? And uh, why do, why why is it so happy? Why are you so happy to see it? Go on, Drew. Well, it, well, it, it's Doctor Flox from uh, the series Enterprise. It's a Denobulan, isn't it? And and like all prequel series, you have a little bit of a hand waving going on. Oh, the Denobulans are part of like the Federation, or why haven't we ever seen them? Well, no, there's one on the Enterprise now. It's it's fitted in nicely there. I did like what it says the mundane things that Lan has to do at the right at the beginning, as Drew says, you like the beginning, it's because it's showing Lan having to do all these really menial security checks and uh, jobs that she's got to do. I mean, telling Spock off for playing too loud on his loot and uh, going around uh, uh, trying to sort out a squabble between the transporter chief. Uh, what was the other one? There was a Hell third yeah. one. Having nicked all the... Oh, pay him, yes. Taylor with her flipping bad boy uh, tendencies that she's got, and she getting in the uh, the I've got a bunker in Vermont there. You know, the, it's the second watch through. You can see all these little things there. I I, I don't know how Lan uh, remembered that because it's such a throwaway tiny bit. But getting that little uh, Easter egg in there that you can use later on. It may be that that was deliberate because she knew that. Um, that this incident with Lan was going to happen. Um, so it may have been setting it up to make sure that it happened. Um, oh, by the way, when you time travel, don't forget Vermont. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> that, that, now, that was, yeah, that, that was sort of thing I was wondering about was as Paler got some sort of, uh, or remembered what happened in the past because it's ne- it's never really sort of mentioned or suggested or anything it's just the fact that she mentions these sort of things and uh Lauren acts upon them but whether paler has got her memories i mean she was a drunk back then if you look at it she's there she's chucking back bottles of beer left right and center and uh she's she's sort of staggering around drunkenly and you're thinking can she would she be able to remember somebody just coming knocking on her door one afternoon and then suddenly vanishing again right so you don't know well i'm just thinking maybe she uh, as we think she might have that sort of remembrance yeah and that that's a good question i kind of wondered that myself and i also wondered you know if she didn't did she remember at the beginning of the episode or not remember at the beginning, but remembered at the end? That was kind of my question. I, I guess it hadn't occurred to me that maybe she was pointing her in that direction at the beginning, but I did wonder at the end, you know, when, when Laon pops into the bridge in her 21st century outfit and Pelly is in there talking to, uh, to Pike and, and them, and she kind of gives her a look, but I, I could not tell uh, Sookie. Well, I'm just thinking maybe every time Lana Paler have a conversation, she casually mentions a bunker in Vermont. You know, <laughs> could you pass me that drink? Right. Oh, I used to have a yeah. bottle of wine like that, exactly like that in a bunker. Oh, uh, I'm just, oh, yeah, I'm just about to go off somewhere. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm just about to go to Vermont in a bottle, yeah. but a bunker in Vermont. Every single conversation, it might have been like, I'll, I'll pass that information. I'll make sure it sticks in the red. 
Deb? Um, I just wonder, um, because of this was clearly a life-changing moment, I assume this is what made her think, hey, I'll be an engineer then. Um, that weird woman that came back in time um, um, thought I was a really good engineer. I got nothing better to do. So it would be something quite significant if that's what was uh, that that triggered that off. Mm-hmm. I would love to know what was still in that. Uh, uh, the other thing which um, uh, made me laugh was, uh, um, oh, you know, the, the bit about still having a bunker in Vermont in case this whole no money socialist utopia thing turns out yeah. to be a fad. <laughs> I love her. I knew I would. I didn't like her in the first episode, but um, there was always that thing. I am going to love her, aren't I? <laughs> She's great. Drew, go ahead. Y- yeah, I, I, I've got to agree with that. I didn't like her too much in the first episode, but I think this is the episode that I've turned with Pelia, and she's good now, isn't she? But he was. So, what we're talking about is was this a predestination paradox going on? Because that that would be the only way that Pelia would have had the memories to mm-hmm. send her back, and I don't know if they do that in Star Trek, do they? I don't know what a predestination paradox is, so you'll have to explain that to me. That's that's like when Lan always went back in time, so Pelia had to give her the information to make sure she goes back in time. So that that's a predestination a paradox. Loop, it was right? always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I don't mean that's more of a Doctor Who than Star Trek. I yeah. call it a time looping Doctor Who. Timey wimey, um, yeah. What we found out was the time, the timeline had changed, which is going to be interesting to see how that also comes out. Because uh, I, I've sort of read that a few people think that this is uh, um, bears no relationship to the uh, um, time. I'm going to keep talking now because you've got your hand up. <laughs> So as I was saying, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, we know that that Khan, um, the Romulans have made everything slow down, so that first contact may not happen when we expect first contact to happen. But also, Khan is no longer um, uh, of the nineties, uh, but um, but now of the twenty first century. Um, so things are going to change. So we're interested to see how that will affect the rest of the time plus of course that we do seem to have a link with um with with khan and um um the augmented i I, it was interesting to see about lan's backstory and making a big thing of the the self-hate and also the anger with una go on then suki thanks for uh you know what do they call it? But stand fast, standing. What? What do they call it? Where they keep on yapping and yapping and yapping. <laughs> You're right uh, about the time changing. There's, there, there's everything seems to have now been delayed. I mean, I think they're trying to set it so it is in our future, like our us yeah. uh, as viewers' future, rather than going as to what the 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 television future was, which was 1990s when uh, Khan and his uh, fellow uh, uh, super Superman came to powers, came to power line, right? So they're trying to change it, and I quite like the fact that there's a Romulan agent, which I can't remember her name, Sarah, Sarah, or something like that. Yes, Sarah. Yes, Sarah. When she mentions that there's been a number of attempts to change history, and time itself has just righted itself, so therefore everything that we know as canon would still happen, but it only happened slightly later in. Uh, than what it was 
but mm-hmm. it will all happen. So it's quite interesting that they've they've tried to rectify this timeline and just bring it into line with whatever else is happening uh, within the Star Trek universe. This is why I love the episode so much at the end of it. It's because they've they've cleverly done this. I mean, even Voyager went back to 97, didn't they, in uh, Future's End, the episode, and, and there wasn't, like, World War Three going on then, and, and Khan was meant to have taken over, like, whatever it is, a third of the world. So even by then, we knew that our history wasn't mirroring star trek's history but this is so clever now we they can say anything they can do anything and just say well it's aliens that is is holding back humanity well when we get to 5th of april uh 2063 and first contact doesn't happen we can just say oh it's the romulans going back in time that stopped it can't we it, that i think is fantastic because something needed to be done didn't it because we, we've not moved on like we did from uh, TOS when that was made, and and it's all explainable now. Yeah, I'm just worried that Rishi might have that idea. Yeah, sorry, the economy is rubbish. Sorry, we haven't got any of those <laughs> international trade deals we promised with Brexit. But um, it's the Romulans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, I'll say the like the the moving moving things around, but things keep you know bouncing back. I think that's what the TV show lost called you know, whatever happened happened but maybe slightly you know in a different order and i i liked that you know they mentioned that because you know we've gotten it was supposed to be what con in 92 and the bell riots in 2024 um and then i don't i don't recall the exact progression of but then yeah first contact in 2060s approximately and it's a uh, it's a little iffy but and Kirk wasn't born in Iowa. He, the alternative Kirk, he was born on the USS Iowa. I yes. that was nice. <laughs> that, that was excellent, yes. That but was wasn't great. Kirk born on a ship anyway? In the... the uh, one yeah, only in Chris the um, Kelvin universe, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Kelvin timeline. Right, he was, it was the, the USS Kelvin that he was, that he was right. born on. So that's, but that's what I think in the, the current, currently, the currently established timeline that Strange New Worlds is not in the same timeline as the 2009, though I've heard, you know, some folks would prefer that it was, and some folks would prefer that it's not. I mean, I see them as two separate timelines, but I love them both. Well, I was just going to say, so j- just going back to the episode, because we were talking about the, the things Lam was doing, of course, all, after them the bits we've described so far, then she has a sparring match with Mbunga, doesn't she? And, I mean, is there anything that that guy can't do? He's fast becoming my my favourite character of Strange New Worlds, the Doctor. He's he's excellent, isn't he? He's a, what, a physician? He's looking after everyone's mental health. He's a a training sparring partner. And he kicks ass. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I, I, I loved his his action sequences, you know, in the previous episode, that's... I, one, I, one Suki, he's the war doctor. He's the war doctor. Yeah. I think uh, we'll learn more about the darker side of what he did in the Klingon War. I hope so. I think. Well, we're already say, getting hints that he went through a lot. Mm. I mean, so, I mean, it, so there's all that. There's, there's apparently some PTSD still in there somewhere because Chapel's the one that's sort of calming down at one stage. And before they carried on with their uh, fighting style that they had. So I think, um, looking at our, our timeline here, so after she's 
she has that moment with Mbenga, which I think they used it very well for some exposition and just kind of remind us that she's Laon's got some stuff going on. Um, but I really thought that that scene also uh, put into focus Laon's loneliness and kind of her struggle with making connections. So there's her voiceover. She's talking about, um, you know, all these friends, which and it feels like feels slightly sarcastic, but also this is her routine. I think, you know, we're seeing her routine. You know, she's talking to Spock and, and dealing with the transporter incident and Pelia and that went in really well. No, you're right there. She's got this routine, but this routine is very boring. It's just yes. going from one trivial matter to another trivial matter to another trivial matter. And, you know, you get as a security officer, you've probably got these these missions where, you know, you, you get your adrenaline rush and you're really, really uh, having to do things on your mission. But in between all that, you've got to do the mundane stuff, the really boring stuff, the bits where you just think, yeah. oh, my God, I just want to go home and go to sleep. I just don't want to deal with these silly people. As, as, as she says in one of the episodes, thing, people are idiots. And yeah. Yes. So, and all she's doing is dealing with idiots. And so, having this person, this time agent, who we don't know is a time agent, so this person suddenly appear, and uh, it just piques her interest, and off she goes. Right. And uh, of course, everything then changes. Everything changes. And I think that, you know, that, and even just the way that they, you know, moved into that, that to me really hit me as a, as a classic. The classic Trek kind of segue. Uh, and I, I recently rewatched uh, Star Trek Beyond, and it kind of even felt similar to that opening because you have the voiceover and the normal everyday stuff happening and then leading directly into the action um, of the episode that, you know, suddenly everything changes for her. I mean, we see it, you know, the guy, the time agent shows up and she's thrust into an adventure that, Perhaps she doesn't have, well, she doesn't have control, which for her is a big deal, I think. And then, so that's, I think, great for her. Yes, Suki. Now, I'm just wondering, why did this time agent appear on the Enterprise? Why target that ship? Why target possibly Lan or whoever may be passing down that corridor and say, look, you've got to get to the bridge and sort things out? Why did that happen? It's not exactly explained as to why this time agent came to the Enterprise. Yeah, so that just reminded me of Back to the Future, isn't it? You come back, you've got to come quick. Your grandchildren yeah. are... Do- uh, uh, I think the surname, because, uh, um, yeah, oh, Drew. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, agree. Union Singh. Yes. I think it was particular... Um, yeah, he wanted Lan because Lan would be able to act, have access to the Khan Institute. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So... so um, it's the guy in the grey suit so he, he says to Laan get to the bridge which which was great because number one it, it made her go to the bridge and number two there was like a, a Jonathan Creek like twist in the middle of the episode where she realises it wasn't the bridge of the Enterprise it was the bridge that was blown up I, th- I thought that was another very clever little uh little thing that they'd put in the beginning of the episode to watch out for later it might have been nothing it might have been um uh, a reference to the bridge of the latest ed sheeran song 
saying, go to the bridge, check it. He's nicked it from um, from the latest film of Back to the Future or some kind of a check the bridge, man, check the bridge. I hope Ed Sheeran's not still going by the uh, the twenty third century. Surely not. <laughs> Nostalgia music. Not that I it, think Ed Sheeran is a plagiarist. He's perfectly right. There's only so be, many songs. <laughs> it would be quite a a twist, or maybe just an Easter egg, if you know he's he were to show up musically, not not physically. I need a whole other Game of Thrones appearance. <laughs> Yeah, it was Fleetwood Mac. It was Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Sucky, did you have something? No, no, that was it. The Ed Sheeran Game of Thrones moment that you mentioned. No problem. Go on, Drew. So, so yeah, so Lan goes to the bridge, and uh, that that was an interesting how everything's changed now. The uh, not the Federation. What was it? The United Earth Fleet, I think they were called. Yeah. Are at war with the Romulans. Because it, of course, there's not not much contact with the the Romulans for for a long time. They, they, we have a war with them, don't we? Like a hundred years before um before TOS, and then nothing until Balance of Terror, I think, is the first one where they they come back in it. But yeah, there's a full war. Spock is a captain on a Vulcan ship, though. How, yeah. how did that happen? That's an interesting little twist. Is is he is he's um still got half human parentage? No, he must have half human parents to, for him to be able to exist. It's just that he's, instead of him, uh, Starfleet and Vulcan being sort of mingled together and they can transfer people between each each institute, each planet, there's no, there's a segregation. So he never went to Earth to the, join the academy. He stayed and became a commander, a uh, captain right. within, uh, on Vulcan. Uh, so yeah, that's they're... why he hasn't. Uh, he's known to everybody. Uh, I mean, but if you look, Spock appeared for one scene, Una and Pike appeared for one scene, Mbenga appeared for one scene, Ortegas and Aura appeared for a couple of scenes, and Chapel never appeared. So this was a really bottle episode. This, yeah, basically mm. with just Lon and Kirk, special guest star Paul Wesley, Kirk, yes, right, uh, just just a cheap episode, and as he was filmed. Which is another thing. You, you, you see all these things in the past where you see all these American shows, which are all filmed in Canada, and they're all doubling for Los Angeles and New yeah. York and uh, Georgia or Florida, whatever they are. Right. And then as soon as uh, Kirk's there and he's going, well, this is New York City. And Lon just... I love that. <laughs> yes, it's I just like it. The yeah. sign behind you that says Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I had just noticed that. And, I went, and then he said New York, and I went, oh, they're not actually going to pretend this is new york it literally just said <laughs> yeah no i was just gonna basically say what suki was saying that that was a nice uh another little easter egg of uh they always use um that toronto eaton center as as a new york as Times square don't they and yeah. I, I definitely put that in as a as a bit of a joke uh yeah so they they go uh into the the clothes shop don't they you've got the little bit of the fish out of water with kirk not knowing how revolving doors work that was good. I, I loved them both going into the changing rooms and coming out in the same uh, in the same clothes. That was an excellent uh, joke as well. Yeah, so I was just gonna rewind just a tad. Um, so when she when she goes into the bridge the first time um, with our with Kirk as captain, 
and this this just struck me as funny. My um my partner, who is also a huge Star Trek fan, um, he immediately referring to this Kirk as rude Kirk. Is <laughs> he just says he's like is is he's rude the whole time, which I I thought was an interesting way to differentiate them, um, and and just to say that they. I really enjoy what they're what they've been doing with introducing Kirk in Strange New Worlds, where it's Kirk, but it's not the prime timeline or our timeline Kirk yet. And I, I really, really enjoy the different ways that they're playing that. So is this Kirk is a captain earlier in this timeline than he is in later timeline? So maybe the way your partner saw him as being rude is because he's been absurd. He's had to become more assertive and has to take yeah. uh, decisions where, where later captain Kirk, he's got the experience to maybe listen a bit more with and maybe a bit more tactful in what he says without being rude. So maybe your, your partner yeah. has probably seen the difference, but because it's two different Kirk's from two different timelines, there's always that yeah. difference there. Yeah, well, while we're on Kirk, I, I, I think Paul Wesley's an excellent Kirk. I, I think he's, he's the closest to Shatner that we've had so far. He's got the swagger and the cheekiness, and we saw he's a, he's a good tactician when he's playing the chess and winning all the monies, and he, I, I really liked his Kirk. No, okay, that chess. Now, does, does anybody believe for a single moment that you can earn shed loads of money just playing you know 20 minute games of chess and you end up with loads of money that'll cover your, all your expenses for the next few days i just think it was so unbelievable i mean the the people that usually sit in a park uh, in the parks playing this chess are people that are you know ain't going to be with loads of money going i don't know i think i'll just get to the park and i'll have a game of chess here's the thousand dollars right to play uh, somebody right and see if i can win Nobody's going to be doing that. Now, come on, back me up, people. I, I totally agree. This is one of a few little niggles with the episode. But, uh, yeah. Plus, when, when he had the big pile of money by the side of the, the board, if you went up there and someone had a big pile of winnings like that, you would not be then trying to beat them, would you? You'd be like, nah, that's all right. I can, I can see this guy's a bit of a hustler here. Yeah, I had. I think I had that in my notes. Is that how much are they betting on this game of chess? Yeah, that <laughs> room, seems... the Toronto room, uh, that looked like a really expensive room. It was unbelievable. That's all I could say. It was unbelievable. Uh, I just, it just took me out of it for at least five or six, five or six minutes. Thinking, he, he can't really be winning all that amount of money. He must be doing something else as well. And then he also, the, the chess bit, uh, he, he, he does say, Kirk does, you know, it, it, I've been playing against my number one for years and they've given up, right? And, th and this sort of foreshadows a bit where uh, I think somebody either mentions it in the notes that Kirk in later years would always challenge Spock to a game of uh, 3D chess or 4D chess or whatever, because 2D chess was like very... Yeah. Uh, amateur idiot chess. Idiot chess. <laughs> yeah, he goes to idiot chess. So after he wins everybody's money on idiot's chess, <laughs> um, I enjoyed Lon. You're not wanting to eat the hot dog. 
which I thought was funny. I mean, and I had it in my notes that it's, you know, she's, you're not in fairy long. You can eat the food. It's not gonna, <laughs> you know, you've, you've fallen into a, you know, an alternate dimension. It's just an alternate timeline, but she's, she's so focused. And I think like the first, you know, even once they get to Toronto, you know, she's so, she's still so driven, which, and I still appreciate that about her character because that seems very true and very right to me. I just thought it would be because it was an animal. Um, because um, would she have eaten um, proper meat before? Mm. If she's been hanging around with Klingons on that planet, obviously their food. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I reckon yeah. she has probably eaten meat in the past. Yeah. Now, did, did anybody see the attraction between... Kirk and Lorne before, or was it suddenly Lorne and Kirk, you know, suddenly it's just like because um, we're the only two people in this situation we should just basically hook up <laughs> is, that your, is that your chat up line, CK? I've not had to use a chat up line for 30 odd years I don't think it ever worked like that <laughs> right. Drew. No, I, I think in, um, you know stressful situations, and quite often if there's the two of you against everybody you, you do get that kind of thing that goes on don't you get a natural attraction between the two i did think when they finally kissed it had come a little bit out of left field i couldn't ever imagine laan kissing kirk but uh, you go with it she's always had a chip on her shoulder hasn't she she's cut people away and um had a big barrier because of her surname so she's always had that reaction when she says nunia sing um, and also that I think mistrust of herself. So this was somebody in a different, completely different place who didn't have that um, uh, those assumptions about her. And I think it was a huge relief. And uh, yeah, he was charming. I think there's definitely an element of what uh, some folks call "I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together." I think there's <laughs> definitely um, some of that, but definitely um, I'll second what Deb has, and that's even I've got some in my notes. You know, what's the what's the appeal aside from the you know high adrenaline? You know, we're both people out of out of our own space that that's going to tie them together. But I think there's, I mean, there's, you know, Kirk is charming. I think every version of Kirk has, you know, is, is supposed to have this, this charm. Um, I don't always see it. I don't always get it, you know, iterations. Um, but I could see a, a little bit of something like they were, I could almost tell they were going to try, try to do something <laughs> maybe once they, they got to, um, Toronto I was like you know you've always you've kind of got that strong two strong personalities butting up against each other and I won't say that it's a Trek trope I think it's just a story trope you know you've got well she's she's strong and wants to be in control and he's a captain so he's used to being in control so I think there's that too but Suki as soon as you've got Kirk in an episode he's got to have a love interest you've yeah. got to he's got to shag up with shag up uh, have a shag with somebody basically I was right, putting it, it down to his pheromones they need to bottle Kirk's pheromones it's Kirk so Kirk Kirk has to have some attraction for somebody so I think there's a bit of that too but. I, I loved Kirk just talking about his swagger when they was at the uh, Toronto hotel room just saying oh they've got a mini bar and I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drink from it and, and I think he's quite correct you know saying 
if we correct the timeline, then I'm going to disappear. So that's what you would do, wouldn't you? You'd just be like, I'm just going to get drunk in that case. Kirk does have that point where he knows his timeline is the correct one and Lance is the wrong one, right? He's, He's got that belief, but it's only when Lance convinces him that Earth is better, there's sunsets, the, the, all the planets have a sort of harmony between them, uh, and they, he realises maybe he's in the wrong wrong timeline, and maybe the other timeline's a lot better. But uh, going back to where uh, Kirk having an attraction, I'd like to know what a Star Trek writer would do with Kirk in an all-male cast story. Would they go that whole hog? Would they, indeed? Anyway, Rachel... Well, first of all, if if they had Star Trek and an all-male cast with Kirk, I would certainly hope that they would go the whole hog. I mean, why not? I I have not seen a version of Kirk that is not believably bisexual, though really I think technically it would be more pansexual. This is other species. Is that, is that correct? But, you know, he's – things are – you know, any, anyone that's attracted to him, I think he's – he's open he's open to but um but i was yeah i was also just gonna follow that up suki by it's not i think the sunsets make a difference but also something that's missing from his timeline is his brother yeah so you know and that ties Mm kind of full i'll say full circle but ties back into that connection um piece that i at least for me you know i'm a I'm a big story nerd. I have a background in, in English lit. I love, I just love stories. But, and that's for me, if I can find, you know, a through line in this story, you know, that helps me. And I could, to me, that's something that, that pops out even among, you know, the, the meat of the, the Star Trekness of it is just that La'an is this character that has, and she says that she has trouble with people, which to me says I have trouble making connections. And there's lots of reasons for that. But I think seeing, Kirk making that something that's lacking in his life is the brother that he had and is now gone. So, you know, he sees that. And I liked that because I think that there are other versions of even just this episode where he, you know, as soon as she says, oh, we've got great stuff over here. He goes, okay, I'm on board. But it's a much more human reaction for him to say, not just going to drink this mini bar. (laughs) And, and this is what's going to happen. But having that, it, you know, it's a moment of, you say, maybe a little bit of growth, a little bit of an arc for him, which can be difficult to do in these cap- encapsulated episodes. But I really, you know, I think it's a credit to Paul Wesley, honestly, that he did. I think he's doing a great job. Yes. With Kirk. So from the, uh, the hotel room, we then have the, the bridge explode, don't we? And and there's the callback to get to the bridge. Was that what the uh, the time traveller was was always talking about? I guess it was, wasn't it? Really, quite clever. I liked that bit. Or Ed Sheeran. Yeah, or Ed Sheeran. Yes. So they they go to the bridge, don't they? And that's where they bump into uh, Sarah, who we later discover is actually a Romulan time travelling assassin. Now, this is another good thing, I think, on a rewatch. When you watch all them early scenes with Sarah, she just seems like, you know, you think she's just a conspiracy nut or whatever and uh, because she's talking about aliens and that lot. But on the second watch, once you know what's going in, I think she's she, that's a very good actor there. She's 
subtle and plays it exactly right that you can see what's really going on. She's just nudging them because she knows she needs Laan's handprint or or them to get into the the institute. I think it's excellent. Another great bit of um of story writing. The thing is, how does she know who Lan is then? Really, she doesn't. Do, they initially come up to her at the bomb site, and all they do, because I, I, when I watch it the second time, is all they do is just ask her to ask to look at her photographs, and then they walk away, and they don't say nothing. Uh, it's only she. She must have some sort of instinct or something going on. Maybe she's also got one of these devices which tell the future, and she goes, "That's a person I should be following." Or maybe she's got a DNA reader and realizes that's got she the line's got uh, Khan's DNA in there. All right, so it's all this sort of thing that you just think, how does she suddenly jump to these conclusions of following the line and Kirk? Well, I I don't think that she. I think on the and this is just my read, you know, from watching the episode a couple times. I think initially, you know, when they, you know, ask to see her camera, I think she just thinks they're, you know, a couple of crazies or just interested people. And I don't know at that point whether or not she overheard what they said about the photonic bomb. But then when they see her later, I think that she figured that there's something up with them. So when she has an opportunity to get them out of that situation with the cops by, you know, saying that, uh, Kirk is a civil rights lawyer or, or whatever, which, you know, excellent. That was excellent. And I, I think, I think she, I think her Romulan senses were tingling, you know, she's been there for 30 years. She can spot when something isn't right, I think at least. And then she talks to them to find out if they're just crazies. And then when she shows them, at least to me, I think when she shows them the pictures and one, and there's a Romulan photo, she did that on purpose. She put that picture in there on purpose to get a reaction from, to see. But go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I, I totally agree. She, and she mentions the cold fusion generator then, doesn't she? I, I think yeah. she she does say later on that she didn't instantly recognise uh, Jim Kirk, but she did after a while. I think she's she's moving them towards that cold fusion generator because I, I put it down to she's a master manipulator, crafty Romulan. But just talking about that, yeah, where she comes back in and convinces the uh, Canadian police to let him go. I mean, I, I know Canadians are meant to be nice and polite, but that was another little bit take out the episode. You can really, really make them just say, oh, no, we'll let you off all that dangerous driving. We'll let you off. Yeah, you can go. There was, there, was a, there was a number of police there. I mean, and they, they had that suddenly had that little emergency or whatever it was, a call to go somewhere else. It didn't need all of them to go. They just needed, uh, you know, most of them to go and just leave the one copper there just to take Kirk in. Uh, but because they've got this lady with a camera spouting civil rights and saying all these things, she's, he's, they've decided, you know, we don't need the house from go. I, I thought that too, yeah, that was unbelievable. That was unbelievable. Couple of things in this episode which we just we are starting to nitpick at now. We are, yeah. you know, we have enjoyed the episode, but there's now a couple yeah. of things we're just thinking, yeah, wrong, wrong. That wouldn't happen. It's a bit uh, dodgy storytelling there. Go on, Drew. Well, yeah, let, let, let's move on to another one of them. I don't want to nitpick. I loved, loved, loved this episode. But so 
So next thing they do is they uh, seek out Pelia, don't they? By, uh, as Kirk says, going to the Apple shop and duck, duck, going, which I thought was uh, a great little uh, product placement there. <laughs> and um, the the whole business with the watch, you know, oh, we, we need a detector. Oh, we use the watch and the, the hands will glow. So you're going to walk all around Toronto and just wait until the hands go. I, I've been to Toronto and it's massive. I really don't think you'd you'd be able to just walk the streets and find that reactor. They, I mean, the, the place was called the Khan Institute. Maybe they should have done some more duck duck going on <laughs> on the name. Maybe, but yeah, that that was a a little bit dodgy science, I think. Uh, what did you say? The, the place was called the Khan Institute. So mm, who's who's it, it was, named yeah. after? I'm sorry, it was the Noonan Singh Institute for Cultural advancement there so, we go who who's noonan singh then because i thought khan it's khan noonan singh so is this a father figure is this somebody else uh that the khan has taken the name of it's just strange maybe all the children are, are noonan singhs and they've all got different first names it's a good point oh, yeah deb it was interesting that kirk when Lan said her name was Lan Noonien Singh, and she was assuming uh, Singh, and she was assuming uh, there would be a reaction, uh, and there wasn't. Um, Kirk said, "What Noonien Singh? Soong? Oh, gosh, I'm getting this the wrong way around now." So, um, whereas that sounds like just sort of a little Easter egg or something, mm-hmm. maybe um, Noonien Singh is still related to this because remember. At the end of Picard, um, Adam soon was it was saying about um, uh, Project Khan. Yes, so definitely. maybe there is a link between Noonien Soon and Noonien Singh. It just seems too much of a coincidence. Well, was I the only one expecting a Brent Spiner cameo somewhere? You know, I really was thinking he was going to make an appearance, but maybe they couldn't get the uh, the budget. You said it's a bottle episode. <laughs> Maybe they couldn't afford him. I, I would think he's uh, quite a big wage nowadays, isn't he? Yeah, I think I, I saw that as a, I think it's a way for them or an avenue to connect, you know, all the the Noonians that we've seen in, well, say Picard specifically. I mean, they're all over the place. <laughs> in, um, <laughs> you know, these guys are everywhere. Um, and I think when the, well, when Lon was introduced in the first season, you know, I don't think there's anyone who's seen another Star Trek property that didn't think, oh, there's got to be some connection. And then she talks about augments and there's, you know, I think there there's some pieces that they're connecting and will, I assume, continue to connect, you know, kind of the way that they ended the episode. It felt like they could come back to to pieces of this in the future if they if they so choose, because I think that's also you know, we're talking about, you know, you move things from 92 to the 21st century and, and, and all that, but we've still got, you know, we've got a couple iterations of Khan. We've got a couple different backstories for him already out there. Um, so this is, whether this is a question of oh, which one are they going to go with? Well, surprise, they're going with a different one, which frankly, at this point is probably the best decision, <laughs> Deb. Uh, they did linger on that watch a bit, didn't they, at the end? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I do think um, there will be other things that come from this episode. Well, you know, last week we were all going about uh, how um, 
did Lon know uh, anything about Khan Noonien Singh? Uh, not Lon, Spock know anything about Khan mm-hmm. Noonien Singh. So I took the bullet uh, this week and I actually watched Space Seed. And uh, yeah, indeed. So uh, everything that was mentioned about Khan Noonien Singh's past, full name was mentioned in that episode. All his uh, past story, Spock was there present. So he should have recognised him or should have recognised bits uh, of him from uh, when they come back again, because everything there is already in uh, Spock's past. And why didn't, uh, with uh, Lon, why he doesn't recognise uh, Khan later on in Space Seed, is anybody's guess. But then again, now that we've established that time can be changed and things and events can be moved around, this might be the same case here with Space Seed. Space Seed might not exist as a story at that particular time, uh, time Spock's life, but we'll turn up maybe later on with a different sort of uh, uh, narrative within that story. It's all speculative now, especially with the time age in the period uh, and what Sarah said about uh, she's been trying to change history and time seems to write itself all the while. It's just, we'll see what happens going forward, temporal, temporal affairs agency, whatever they were, they'll come back into this somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line. Yeah, they really kind of felt a little bit like, um, you know, that was at the Time Variance Authority in the Marvel Universe. Actually, there's, uh, I had it in my notes, when the the first time guy shows up and he he does something, he finds some button on that little machine that kind of pops up a little hologram with what looks to be like a timeline on it. And there seems to be a little a curve or a, like a little branch, um, which in, you know, I think in the Loki TV series, they call it the, the sacred timeline. So that's why I put in my notes, the, the sacred timeline being the one that we're in strange new worlds. And, and then the other lady checks it at the end, kind of to see if it, Oh, everything's, and there still looks like there's like a little hump. So I yeah. think that was, you know, Laon doing her thing and coming back you know, to, to straighten things out. But um, I think they were, no, I wrote down what those, what those people were called in my notes. Department temporal. of Temporal Investigations. Yes. 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 So, um, would Laan's hand really open that door at the, at the Noonien Singh Institute? That's a tiny nick. I guess story reasons it had to, didn't it? But when did yeah. you say there must be markers in my DNA? Yeah, it wouldn't DNA be a very markers. secure then, would it? How, how many descendants right. must there be that could open that, that door? Deb? Oh, well, I would have thought the number of descendants that are related to Brent Spiner uh, must be pretty <laughs> immense. And then uh, a bit like Boris Johnson, there must be lots of Kirk offspring as well, the way that he... Um, it worked. It was a story. It was fun. It was nice. But more um, interesting, how did Khan end up, that sweet little Indian boy, end up looking like Benedict Cumberbatch? Mm. Or maybe that was where this time institute came and maybe the bum, the uh, the Bumberbatch uh, uh, DNA ended up being um, Sherlock Holmes investigations. And maybe they led to the time detectives, uh, and the other bit went off to become Khan. 
actually all, really. Do you want to go around trying to add any more franchises into this uh, conversation? Red <laughs> Wolf, Star you're going you're gonna to get the uh, the Department of Temporal Investigation after you, Deb, if you, if you carry on that way. <laughs> uh, and um, Pellier had the Guinan roll. That's what I written down there. Mm. Yeah. A drunken Guinan roll. <laughs> Even better. Um, Drew, did you have something? Uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to carry on with um, where we was in the episode. So... Oh, um, the episode. Yeah, the episode. <laughs> so Sarah calling Kirk's bluff was that um, oh, another yeah. bit of an Easter egg? The no-win scenario. Kirk always bluffed in TOS yes. and uh, never got called on it. Well, this time he did, didn't he? And ended up dead. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. You know, he he's bluffed so many times. You know, in TOS and the no-win scenario, and he's very that's part of Kirk, right? He's a lot of bluster. And we always see it work out for him. But this time it did not. <laughs> mm. Sarah's a desperate woman by this stage. I mean, she's, as she yeah. says, she's been on Earth for 30 years trying to alter things. And then some guy says, you know, and she's that close to getting what she needs. And she doesn't need Kirk. And so, so when he goes on, you do this, we'll, we'll uh, you know, you, uh, you'll have all security coming. And of course, she doesn't care because she's that close to getting her objective objective and she doesn't need him. So bang, he's, he's been shot. She uses, um, lawn to do what, whatever else she needs to do. Right. So I could see her doing it. It comes as a shock to me when it happened. Cause I didn't think, uh, Kirk would be killed off. Uh, but this is what happens in this story. And I thought it was a great, a great idea by the writers. Yeah, no, I, I, as surprised as I was, I thought, you know, the writers did a great job because our other options, I mean, you think about it, what was going to happen to him anyway um, in this scenario? If they fixed, they fixed the timeline, you know, was he going to, he was functionally going to cease to exist, whether it's a, you know, back to the future, is he, you know, going to start look, seeing through his hand or, you know, would Lon have disappeared and we don't know if maybe he was just going to live in Toronto forever or if he went back with her. What I wrote down was if he went back with her, we would then have a Boimler problem and you'd have two of them running around and then they'd have to fix that later. So it happened. It used to happen in Doctor Who a lot where, you know, in a six part story, seven part story, you'd have characters that they bring in and when they didn't need them, they'd just kill them off. And this is a point where Kirk was not going to be required for the rest of the story. They had no idea what they were going to do with that particular version of Kirk uh, for the remainder of that story, this story or the series if they brought, kept him on. So just kill him, get rid of him. Go on, Dave. Was, wasn't it like the Edith Keeler moment at the City of the Edge, though? This was, it, you know, he had to die to make the um, the timeline right. But, but it almost reversed, isn't it? It's so reversed. he had to die mm. so that the dictator could live. It's, it's an opposite kind of scenario, isn't yeah. it? To uh, sit on the edge of forever. Uh, somebody else's comments. Not in. I don't think it's in uh, the notes that we've got. But somebody else's comments did say uh, you have to watch this in relation to City on the Edge of Forever because there's a lot of similarities yeah. as to um, what it's all stuff that's happening in the past and whatever they do in the past will affect the future and then you mm. have the sort of role reversal somebody has to die 
in uh, City on the Edge Forever, whereas this one, somebody had to live to make the future happen, even though, as Lard says, she was protecting a mass murderer. And, you know, it's it's one of these things that we've all speculated upon. And it's happened again in Doctor Who, uh, mm-hmm. when the Doctor saved Davros. Uh, you know, what do you do when you have a dictator uh, as a child? Do you snuff yeah. them out at that stage, saving billions of lives in the future? Or do you let nature... To, history mm. take its course but then without uh, khan it says that there would not have been a starfleet so um you know sometimes um the horrific things lead to good mm. yeah. that's what i mean with hitler with, with hitler and uh survive uh, having to survive it united a lot of the world against and brought a lot of people closer together a lot of countries closer together against the nazis right so you've got that there as well if, if that uh, um, Hitler wasn't alive, would the rest of the world have just gone off into their separate little wars left, right and centre and not had a common enemy enemy to unite against? It's just one of these things. It's speculation. It's uh, theories left, right and centre. I don't know how far we could get down that rabbit hole. Drew? <laughs> yes, yeah. I was going to say, I think you, you need to move the conversation away from should we kill Hitler or let him live, yes. Um, so Lan eventually gets the better of Sarah and shoots her, doesn't she? And she's she's got like a button in her neck, hasn't she, that disintegrates her. That fascinated me. That, that so she she had that button for thirty years. You know, you'd be really careful when you had a shower, wouldn't you, every morning? <laughs> you don't accidentally push her. Or, or when, you, I don't know whether she had sexual relations with, with humans, but you'd have to be really careful. Wouldn't you? Or, you know, w- would you be constantly like, ready to push it? Like, you, know, you get run over, oh, quick, push the button. It's, it's a weird concept, that isn't is it? That thing, isn't there? Like Father Ted, if we're going to use another thing as well. Um, you've got Dougal on the plane with this button that says, do not press this button, do not press this button. <laughs> I, I, I have that um, on, um, I can't remember, there's a, uh, oh, on my, my um, cam- camera, there's a button that says wipe the memory card. And whenever I get to that, I, I, my finger is poised. Over. I don't want to, I don't want to, do not press this button, do not press this button. Yeah. There's, uh, it's a similarity to cyanide, peel, cyanide pills that uh, spies have, though. Right? So you get to a point in whatever yeah. you're doing. And you get to the point that you know it's you're not going to get out of it, and you don't want to be captured. You don't want to uh, uh, pass on any information if you are captured. So you quickly just snap open a tooth where you got your cyanide pill at the back of your back of your teeth, and you just swallow that, and that's the end of uh, passing on any information. And you just die. Same thing with uh, Sarah. Pressing the button gets rid of the body. No, no, no uh, body uh, with her alien DNA and alien organs to be found and and uh, the history doesn't uh find that we've had aliens living amongst us for many many years <laughs> drew i i just think it's too easy to push that button one one scratch in the middle of the night when you're half asleep and that's the end of you isn't it you you've got a cat just walking in and out of your picture all you need is that cat to go you know something, exactly. there's something on drew daddy drew's neck there i'm yes. gonna swat it and next thing you know, there's a puff of uh, uh, ash lying all over the pillowcase. At least with uh, that tablet, you got to get it out of your pocket and pop it in your mouth, haven't you? 
It's a bit more secure. Isn't it in your in your tooth or something in James Bond? Yeah, back of your tooth. Keep your cyanide pills and your um and your self destruct buttons safe. That's the moral. I thought it was like a sticky patch, you know, like you just stick it on when you left the the compound or whatever, but so we get into the end of the episode, aren't we? So Lan, we've uh, when she gets to Khan and he's a he's a little boy. That was a bit of a a touching moment, wasn't it? And it was the uh, the and she had the gun in her hand. We knew she would she could never really kill him, but I th- I thought that was that was humanizing Khan, wasn't it? This this great enemy that we've known for so long, and there he is at the beginning, just a little kid. Yeah, there's a nice. Um nice idea to show him as a child you just know that all this future things that are going to happen is because of when this child grows up to become the superman that he becomes as he's called in the future one of the supermen and uh, he's the one that goes around and you just you, you look at him you you just think can i oh lauren looks at him and says this is my my past this is this is somebody who is one of my ancestors or is my ancestor is she is he a direct ancestor not sure but if she kills him now does she sniff out uh get snuffed out of existence as well this is one of these things maybe she was speculating on that as well that why she couldn't kill him so now we know khan is a canadian (laughs) i think that was an interesting uh, thing he's born in canada isn't he so he's canadian where does he what? say that he's born in Canada? Well, is it, they, they, well yeah, maybe, maybe. But they, the Institute's in Canada, isn't it? I kind of assume mm. that that's where it's all going on. But, but, hear me out, it could be a question of the, uh, they've sought the kids that are most suitable for whatever programme they have all around the world. And if you look, they're all multi-ethnic children, different uh, ethnicities on that picture. So they've gone, well, this one, this one we've picked out from uh, one of the Asian countries, South Asia, we'll have them. There's another child maybe from America, another child, South America, and go, we'll just take them all to Canada. The pla- the most evilest place in the world, I believe now. <laughs> <laughs> it comes back to it again, though, that without Khan, Starfleet wouldn't have happened. Um, so how, you know... He- I think she knew by that stage that that Khan needed to be. I think, I mean, I definitely agree. I think his age aside, I think that, you know, that was a a good way to play it because you only see him for a minute. You know, there's not time in the episode to be chasing an adult Khan around. But um, I think it was part of, I think for La'an, when she, she says that quote up before she shoots Sarah that she says that Khan's legacy is genocide torture and me and Sarah took that at like the face value oh if you kill him then I cease to exist I don't think that that was necessarily what Lon was concerned about <clears throat> excuse me I felt like it was more of a you know Khan's legacy of is horrible horrible things but I can be a positive thing Mm. And that speaks to her, you know, more than just the episode, you know, that she's, she's more than just her last name, which frankly, I think even last season, I thought, well, if everyone knew your last name, 
and it was connected to yeah. a this guy. Why don't you just change it? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's an interesting, you know, examination of that. I think yeah, you don't get many but, Hitlers around, do you? No, yeah. just, and, it, Deb said exactly the same thing last week. Mm. She says, "What is it? Cost a tenner." Something like that, yeah. Because yeah, you, you get people that get pissed and go on uh, the computer at night and find out they've changed their name to. Um... <laughs> or the Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we're we're at the uh, the end of the episode now, really, aren't we? Uh, timelines restored. Laan goes back forwards in time, I should say, to the Enterprise. Checks everything's okay. Did Pelia recognise her? Maybe we maybe we've a little bit discussed that. But then um back in her back in her quarters and that, that was lovely checking in on Lieutenant Kirk now. And I mean when she broke down at right at the end of it, that that's powerful. And you know, Christina Chong, what what an actor. That was excellent acting, oh, yeah. I would say. That brought tears to me twice. Every time, the two, twi- two times I've watched this episode, I cried at that end there because those are real. They look like real tears, real sobs, you know, real. <gasps> and she, yeah. you could see the see the tears just coming down, and that really brought me, you know, my own tears coming through because she's she, as we've said now, she's found a connection with somebody who doesn't know her past, doesn't know her. Uh, the story behind her name and she sort of could have been uh, so, I know it's all quick and they're, they're only basically together for about a day and a bit but she she had that sort of connection with him and mm-hmm. to see him killed in front of her and then she can't talk about it because you could see her ranting and raving to, at that uh, temporal um, temporal affairs lady uh, when she says you can't talk to anybody including your captain and so, of course, she's got all these pent up feelings and frustration, anger, uh, longing, and it's all got to stay bottled up because she can't talk to anybody. She maybe she could do a personal log, vent it, you know, yeah. out, or but she can't really tell anybody else and have somebody bounce back off her, unless, of course, you've got AI. So, you know, we'll bring it to the current news <laughs> at the moment, we'll talk about yeah. AI. She could talk to an AI bot and uh, she could mm. have a back and forth and then, you know, let all her feelings come out. That's a good question. I, I kind of wonder, I think, with the the personal log, but you'd have to, like, can you, you can't classify your own personal logs, though, because wasn't that kind of a point in that last episode where she thought maybe her personal log had affected Una's, um, you know, getting arrested when she did because she said, but then it turned out they hadn't been uploaded. So, like, that to me seems like they could, somebody could get to her personal logs if they wanted to. So would she then talk about this in a personal log? Suki. Well, that, that this is it. Because if she did want to talk about it in a personal log, it, all it needs is one of these temporal affairs people to read this log some 300, 400 years in the future and go, well, she shouldn't really be telling the saying these sort of things. And just go back in time and say, look, don't say nothing. Delete the log. <laughs> right? So whatever she does, she, she can, if she wanted to, say whatever she wanted, knowing there's probably some police out there 
temporal police out there, they'll can't come back and just delete it and go, well, you know, you try to bet your best to get it out or to bent, but you, there can't be no written or verbal uh, evidence of what happened. Okay, so I think we've gotten through the episode. Uh, do we have any other notes we wanted to to cover before we move on to our lights out of five, Sookie? The uh, I just wanted to see uh, think about that poor woman who just got done for shoplifting, right? Because <laughs> uh, you know she's minding her own business, and Lon just suddenly goes and chucks in. Uh, a box of whatever it was and then of course she's now she's probably now uh, you know two or three years down the line in a in a, a back street somewhere trying to score drugs all because Lon put it on this <laughs> poor this poor poor woman I feel do feel sorry for her there's also uh, Halia right at the end still trying to convince uh, Captain Pike about trying to keep her treasures you know the, <laughs> I've checked statue limitations of Statute of limitations are surely passed by now. And, you know, because she's a long-lived woman, she knows that anything, the car really come after her. So she's there thinking, yeah, and she's trying to convince her case there. Okay, I've got a couple of uh, Andrea-like Easter eggs. Um, when uh, when they're in the car and Kirk's driving mm. and he talks, and they're talking about his middle name, Tiberius, and he, mm. he says that's after my grandfather. So that is calling back to the Kelvin timeline, isn't it? We, we see at the beginning Chris uh, um, Hemsworth, isn't it, plays his dad, saying about we're going to name him Tiberius yeah. after, after my dad. So that, that was a nice little callback. Um, we've got uh, Pelia saying um, she's not done a maths class since Pythagoras made the crap up. So Pythagoras, <laughs> 500 BC, that, that means that she's she must be at least 2,700 years old by the time we get to uh, to her on the Enterprise. I mean, we know Lamphonites have got near immortal is, is what they keep saying, don't they? So. She's obviously a bit like Doctor Who. He knows everyone from Earth's history, obviously. Yeah. And um, when Kirk's in Toronto and he, he loves the poutine, is that a callback to Shatner's Canadian roots, maybe? Or is it just because <laughs> poutine is so lovely? Oh, what, a cool, what an Easter egg that one is. <laughs> the thing with the, the lamp, lamp what, whatever a paleo species is, right, does she also have some foresight as to the future of Earth as well, where she could go around thinking, oh, in a couple of years' time, I've got to go around buying Apple shares, right, to make <laughs> sure I can make millions. Or I know that person has just invented the calculator or the earliest version of the computer. I'll go and buy some shares in his company. Or maybe she saw Edison and goes, oh, no, I'll stick with him and buy whatever he does and get all his uh, patents that he, he, he nicked off people. Yeah, it feels more likely that she can see the signs of doom coming and she knows when to bunker down and that might be it. <laughs> but Deb, go ahead. Just about the car as well. Apparently there was an episode called A Piece of the Action in which Kirk drives a 1930s car, puts it in reverse and can't oh. use the clutch correctly. So it was a callback to that as well. Nice. Thank you, Den of Geek. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that, but I did. I thought, um, I mean, he makes that comment about he was born in space but then when he gets stuck in the 
the revolving door, he says, I'm from space. And that, to me, felt like a a little wink-wink to Kirk's comment in, I believe it's Voyage Home, where he says, I'm from Iowa. I just work in space. Uh, yeah, yes. He, he flips that. Yes. I thought that was a good one. Uh, There's also that bit uh, where they're, they're in the, uh, the cafe, all three of them, and uh, she says, or uh, Sarah says something about a meme, and he Kirk just goes, "What's a what's meme?" A meme? <laughs> you know, these days everybody here or it knows exactly what a meme is. How many lights you see? There are four lights. I asked, "How many lights you see?" We'll move on to our lights out of five, and we will start with you, Deb. Five. This is not like me, but I just enjoyed it. I really was riveted to the screen, really loved it. How about you, Sucky? Right, I am not going to give it a five. I think there's there are bits which, after discussing with you guys, have sort of highlighted it even more. So I'm going to get down to a three and a half because... What? Yes, <laughs> it was going to be four. <laughs> but three and a half is just too many bits where I think... It, yeah, the but I did you not enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Well, but when, when you watch it again, he got money out of playing yeah, chess. Yeah, but when you watch it again, it takes you out of it, and you, you, you it, once you start taking you out of the story, you just think to yourself, "I'm just seeing the nitpicking uh, and the the errors and the uh, just it just demeaning a little bit." So yeah, three and a half, and I'll stick into it. Depths, I'll shush. Go on, let's have some sensible people. <laughs> How about you, Drew? Oh, it's a five for me. I mean, I, I thought it was excellent. I, I really don't... I'm not someone who gives fives uh, easily. I don't think every episode is perfect, but this this was super excellent. Really, really enjoyed it. And it's been a pleasure to rewatch it. It's, it's a five on a rewatch as well. Yeah. How about you, yeah. Rachel? Um. So I came into uh, this discussion thinking about a four, but I'm going to have to go up to a four and a half since Sookie's docking. I'm going to bump it up a little bit <laughs> just because it was, it, it was so fun. It was really fun. And it was, it was really fun. I think it was, you know, however, however we feel about, uh, you know, Laon and Kirk, <clears throat> you know, but I think that those, the actors, you know, I think they had good chemistry. They played off each other very well. Um, my, I guess I, I will mention my partner was a little iffy on, on their, was it midnight kiss or whatever. He's like, I'm not really sure. I, mean, I, I buy it. I buy it for, you know, the Kirk, the Kirk of it all. Um, but so I'll do with the, the 4.5. What about your cat, Drew? Uh, she's disappeared, <clears throat> but I'm sure she would be a five as well. She knows good Star Trek uh, when she sees it. I don't think she's impressed. That's <laughs> why she's walked away. <laughs> she's, she's done. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to our listener feedback. Listener's feedback. <laughs> listener feedback, starting with Marcus Squires, Strange New World, Season 2, Episode 3, an an odd one, this, in that I can't make up my mind, can't make my mind up as to how much I liked it. The high point for me was the dig into La'an's heritage and her learning to deal with it. 
This top entailed the episode, and it's the bit in between that felt a tad unfocused to me with silly car chase filler and a whirlwind romance with James T. Kirk. The con aspect was interesting, but they could have spent more time on this and ditched the car sequence. I'd go so far as to suggest that the use of Kirk felt unnecessary and it could have been a totally unknown character and worked just as well. I know it's a different timeline, but they wrote Kirk as a bit subservient to La'an's character, even though he was the captain. There was none of the Kobayashi Maru Kirk on display here. The death was too reminiscent of the ignominy that was his death in generations. Hated that. It's the writer's tale, but I'm of the opinion Kirk would go out in a blaze of glory. Would you have would have been nice to have Pelia reference events at the end there, <clears throat> but to be fair, she had told Laon where to find her in Vermont at the beginning. That was clever. Do not like the concept of people going back to alter the timeline. It just raises too many questions, like why stop trying just because Laon kills one agent? All in all, just felt an okay episode to me. Three lights. It's interesting and appropriate that it says meme maker on the bottom there. <laughs> What's a meme? Um, we now have David, David Poor, David, and he says, I really love a classic alternative history time travel Trek episode. Gary Seven, Simon Turf, City on the Edge of Forever, Yesterday's Enterprise, etc., etc. Especially when they show us a glimpse of the possible alternative timelines. Nice touch naming Kirk's organisation as United Earth Fleet, an echo from the original series United Earth Space Probe Organisation. I knew they would have to contact Pelia in the 21st century as soon as I saw the opening scenes. Chekhov's Immortal. Some people have noted reference to Carol Kane's appearance in Taxi and other films, but I didn't get that myself. I don't get that. What does he mean by that? Does anybody know? Chekhov's Immortal. I don't know, but Carol Kane is is, um, Gary Seven's assistant, isn't she? I think in um, the TOS episode, I think. Oh, she might be. I'd have to look. I'm not sure. Uh, Chess is not my game, but we know from the classic series that James T is good enough to beat Spock. So this time he didn't have to sell his glasses for money. I was pleased with the way they handled James and Lance flirting and kiss. And I did shed a tear when she called Prime James T on her return. James slash Lance, anyone? Excellent performances from these actors. I totally missed the plot point that the conspiracy theorist girl was a Robin agent. But I really did like the conclusion that only Lance could have faced her own kill Hitler decision. A bit light on the regular cast, but otherwise great fun with some serious themes thrown in. Peace and long life. Anyway, I award four lights out of five. Signing off. Live long and prosper. David. Cheers for that, David. Excellent. So this next feedback is from Tom Turlow. And he says, What a strange start to this second series. Three idiosyncratic episodes with next to no Captain Pike in them. I understand the reason, but it's still made for a peculiar start to the series. As for this episode, it was fairly enjoyable. I always like seeing Star Trek in the present day, and it was fun seeing La'an and Kirk try to get by in 21st century Canada. Their romance was both inevitable and rather hasty, but it felt genuine. It was a good mix of the light-hearted and the more serious, and it was well played all round. But again, 
it was a strange episode at this point in the season. The series has still yet to get going. Hopefully it will. Now, three and a half lights out of five. And I have Bruce Wayne. Tomorrow, tomorrow and tomorrow. Or should that have been before, before and before? American-made TV uses certain repeating methods for budget control. For sci-fi, series two of the favourites are flashback episodes and time travel. The latter allows you to film on location, usually cheap local locations with minimal set dressing and as few extras as possible. So appreciate that later series special effects fest as it quite literally owes it to this episode. It was refreshing that they didn't waste time running through all the usual fish-out-of-water time travel tropes that been there, done them, got the t-shirt, turned the t-shirt into dusters. They do stretch credibility like a bungee called holding back an F-15 jet. If I'd known chess in the park makes enough for food, a grand hotel suite, and change for cross-country travel, I'd have been down the park faster than Prince Andrew to the opening of an all-girls school. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot to like with this episode and I did enjoy it. It was largely character-led, well-written and well-acted. We got to see a bit more of Pelia, though I hope the reason the character was written in this episode, written in wasn't just to serve this episode. Carol Kane is great, as an aside. If you only remember her in Scrooged, you could do a lot worse than watching Hunters on Prime, in which she stars. Essentially, though, this was a cheap filler episode that didn't drive the main arc forward at all. The TV equivalent of boiled potatoes. They'll fill you up, but you wish you'd roast it or chip them for at least a bit more of enjoyment. So overall, this episode should be mauled by a lioness because it's gone free and a dimly lit three lights. That's two weeks on the chop that Bruce has put in a gone uh, pun. Well, let's carry on. See if we can carry on for the rest of the season. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Okay, so I guess I've got Jack. Yay. And uh, Jack, I will take a vodka for this one. (laughs) Jack says, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and pours a drink for whoever reads this. Okay, I didn't get my wish of Q hurling pies at people, but I'll deal with the good episode instead. This episode's title comes from a line to Macbeth. Hot potato, banana draws, puck to make amends. Sorry, that's the counter curse to mentioning the Scottish play. Paul Wesley still seems too straight-laced, but he's certainly growing on me. Although he didn't get change when he got his hot dogs. That took me right out of it. I'd love his alternative Starfleet to be called the United Earth Space Probe Agency. (laughs) Deepest deep cut for the time in TOS when they hadn't settled on the name Starfleet for who the crew of the Enterprise works for. Kirk uses a mini bar. Rich monster. Won't someone please think of the children? How did their new clothes not get stinky after being worn for days? (laughs) How much money did Kirk win to ignore change? Buy a bloody posh hotel room and travel to Vermont. All good questions. They never How did long... pay for the hotel room, though, did they? Because they've gone back to the other time. <clears throat> I don't know. I have questions about when when payment was supposed to be exchanged. But 
Jack goes on, how Laon expects to be subtle in that car is beyond me. Then again, I'm not sure how her parents thought they could distinguish their kids from Khan by giving her a name which starts with one that rhymes with his and the rest of his name. <laughs> Peleus stealing from the Louvre is both a cool backstory and deserved for putting up that daft glass pyramid. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd laugh my tribbles off if instead of the drive of the divers watch to find Khan, they hired the greatest detective of the uh-huh. early 21st, early 21st century Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes. I apologize. I hadn't read that before I made the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> on the wet, same wavelength. The message of you are right where you need to be and the sins of others might be related to you, but aren't because of you. Stop blaming yourself for them or I'll paint these walls with your blood. It's beautiful and one that is so important. I might paint it on a sign and mount it on my bedroom wall so I see it daily. A lightweight and fun episode, but exactly what we needed after last week's essential one with an equally important message. Four toilet plomek broths out of five. <laughs> Hang on. How does Romulan temporal agent Talon in Los Angeles in 2022 not know there's another Romulan temporal agent in Vermont? Well done there, Rachel. Go and get your vodka now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we now got Jennifer Lee Rossman uh, and they say... I love this episode. I wasn't sure about Paul Wesley as Kirk at first, but he instantly won me over. I definitely see some of the original series Kirk in his portrayal. That unique, I'm very confident, but I'm also very much a lovable dog. Lan's scene at the end is so beautifully tragic. She saved Kirk, the first person she could really be herself around without worrying about her past. But it isn't the same Kirk she knew. He's gone. One quick thing, one quick thing I noticed. I think we were supposed to interpret Kirk wanting a better chess opponent as a reference to him and Spock playing chess. But there's also a chessboard in Khan's room. Uh, could could be a foreshadowing of them becoming each other's greatest opponents. 4.5 out of 5 lights. Not enough Pike or Erica. LOL. Cheers for that, Jennifer. And Great stuff. So yeah. we've got some... Uh, episode two feedbacks from the davises so let's start with uh, sarah episode two ratings five lights great strong female characters powerful story with a satisfying conclusion a fine addition to the trek courtroom collection thanks for that and steve now steve davis episode two rating four lights it's the third best ever trial episode in Trek, I reckon. That's a, a mighty big statement there, Steve. Maybe it's, yeah, I'll pretty much go along with that. Okay, so we've got Dave Kay from the Doctor Who Show podcast. 15 minutes in, I thought this was an amazing, clever episode and was really excited by the premise. However, sadly for me, the next 45 minutes never really delivered. Winning money via chess was clever, but after that, they really had no issues dealing with the 21st century. It all seemed too easy. The plot was stretched way too far, and the episode revolved around preventing something we've never heard of before, never see, and aren't invested in. Similarly, I don't know this version of James Kirk well enough to really care about him as a lead yet. 
The scene with Khan was nice, and I hope this episode is setting up a longer and more interesting story. 2.43 lights. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's very specific. <laughs> and line. And, and I will do Steve Davis for episode three. I found this one difficult to review. I enjoyed watching it, and I'm a fan of the depiction of Kirk by Paul Wesley. I also really like Christina Chong as La'an. I guess I'm a bit disappointed with the story this week. It all felt a bit safe and not trying anything strange or new. Last week's episode was a noble entry into the courtroom Trek genre, but this week's was a fairly safe, predictable addition to the time travel list. I thought something entirely more innovative would have done justice to the great work by the actors and their chemistry. I also have no problem with buggering about with canon and timelines. So it's three lights for me. I'll do to La'an and Kirk. Boo! Hiss! Boo! Boo! <laughs> you know, everybody else had a goo when I did three and a half, and he does three. Nobody else is having a goo. Uh, no, no, because, because he's not you. Oh, is that? Oh, <laughs> favoritism now. Uh, we have my old mucker, Dave Moore, from the Walls of Fenric. And he says, I have to be honest, this show is supposed to be about Pike and his crew. Now I understand that the first episode, Anson Mount was not in it because his wife had just had a baby. But the second episode was very good and the majority of the crew sitting around saying nothing. Now while I suspect this week's episode is setting up more for future stories again, it only featured Lon. I hope Paul Wesley's Kirk won't become a dominant character this season. I am sorry, but I want to see Pike and his crew, and so far this season, we aren't getting that. Cheers for that, Dave. Okay. Mm, fair enough points. So uh, let's continue with uh, Andrea's uh, review. And she says, Strangely. Andrea, oh, yeah. Andrea, Andrea, who has gone to a pulp concert rather than. Uh, Pursue her dedication to the podcast. It's, is, it's appalling. Is this your sort of way of saying who's going to be red shirt this week? Uh, it might be. Plus, I've read the end of this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so she says in her feedback, Strange New Worlds continues to dip into the genres. This week, we got a time travel adventure in the spirit of Star Trek IV, City on the Edge of Forever and Future's End. I love a timey-wimey one. Another great episode. Nice to see La'an's softer side and the chemistry with Kirk. They have given us yet another alt-Kirk. Come on, you cowards. Give us some pre-Captain Kirk. And to hell with the keepers of canon. Yeah. You know he's not, you know he's not quite Kirk. He managed to keep it in his pants. <laughs> Paul Wesley is definitely growing on me. Enjoyed seeing Pellia in present day. I'd quite like a route around in a shop. I'm sure the Khan thing will ruffle feathers, but come on, did you really think they were just going to leave that? A bit sad I'm not here this week. I vote Deb for red shirt. Just because it's a thing now. 4.5 lights. Nostalgic, but still strange and new. Excellent feedback. Thanks. Apart from the end bit. Apart <laughs> from the end bit. Oh, we miss oh. you, Andrea. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so, Kat. Strange New Worlds, to which I give the verbal title, Schnoo, man continues with a whirlwind adventure. Uh, continues with a whirlwind 
action-adventure romance. It begins with the most original meet-cute scenario I think we've ever seen. From there, we dip into adventure with Kirk's effortless charm and daring, his skill at chess and his skill at disarming Lan. She is utterly taken with him, and who can blame her? Except for his early lack of skill, he drives like an expert, and nothing so appeals to some like a skilled driver. Daring, brave, brilliant, charming. These are emblems of James T. Kirk, and they are quite attractive. I enjoyed the little moments of comedy, I'm from space, and the moments of gravitas and Lan's loneliness reinforced at the end. For a while, she was joyful, a companion. Now she's alone again. Very sad. Come to Birmingham. Come to Birmingham. I'm just excited because she's coming to Birmingham. I do wonder why she never changed her name to serve in Starfleet. Yeah, yeah. Surely she exactly. knew Noonien Singh would not lend her much favour. Loved Kirk miscalling her soon. I loved the play upon United Earth Space Agency or whatever. One of those erroneous titles they gave Starfleet before it was Starfleet in the first series of TOS. I enjoyed seeing Pellier in her earlier life on Earth running her archaeology department shop in Vermont. Flexible morals, though. The Holpens facility with a watch was a little unbelievable. I decided I will trust to Spock's supposition in City the Edge of Forever that in the tides of time, certain elements are drawn together time and again. So that helped me suspend disbelief that they would get to the exact right place at the exact right time. As for the adjustment to the time of the eugenics war, I don't care a whit. Good point. It obviously didn't happen in the 90s, and who says it has to be canon? The canonistas, that's who. <laughs> Did I say I don't care a whit? I'm with Miles O'Brien. I hate temporal mechanics. For the lightheartedness and deeply felt performance of Christina Chong and Paul Wesley, channeling the character of Kirk so well, I award this episode 3.5 lights out of 5. I would give it four, but that would belie my reputation as stingy light to order. Also, I must note, someone who had an advanced screen of this episode said it brought them to tears without saying why, for fear of spoilers. Naturally, my mind went to poor Prime Lorca. Yay. Out there in space somewhere, and my hopes that he would be able to rejoin the Trek family. That perhaps he would make some noble sacrifice that would bring a viewer to tears. Ah, well. Hope springs eternal in the cat mind. Best of all, cat. Thank you, cat. Uh, cheers for that, cat. Um, what's happening with the team basement um, appeal raffle thing that you're? Oh yes, we we're um, keeping it open for a few extra days, but we've managed to get quite a lot of money. This is for the Red Cross appeal, miles for refugees, and um, if you do donate, and if we know who you are. You can go in for a um, draw to get a genuine and original Jason Isaacs. We haven't mentioned him this episode. Jason Isaacs photo. And it's a photo that I took at the Globe um, a couple of years ago, just a few weeks before lockdown. And uh, so no one else has got that photo apart from people that have won it through us. And he signed it last October. Um, but it is for a great cause, and um, Jason is an ambassador for the British Red Cross and very keen in promoting the needs of refugees. 
So if you can get onto Twitter and you hashtag Team Basement or you go to me, um, um, at Lufty, then you can see, you can donate to any of us because although we've got different appeals, we're one team. So we won't be upset. Fantastic. Uh, we got uh, Darren who just could I could send in a rating and he says uh, 4.5 lights out of 5. Cheers for that, Darren. Okay, so this next feedback is from Greg Packnett and he says, A few faults. Time travel and doomed romance go together like peanut butter and jelly. So, so not very well is what you're saying there, Greg. <laughs> I like Wesley's approach to Kirk and it feels like he's consciously resisting the horn dog space cowboy that exists in the popular imagination of Kirk and he's returning to the text of TOS. Greg continues... Uh, that said, it's weird that they remade A Quality of Mercy just three episodes later, i.e. Time Traveller gets someone to touch an object and they go hang out with the Kirk in an alternate universe uh, to learn that their trauma is necessary to avert a catastrophic war with the Romlin. Thanks for that feedback, Greg. Uh, we've got two pieces of audio feedback, and our first one is from Phil from the Who's He podcast. <laughs> Hi guys, Phil here once again from the Uzi Podcast, uh, just for my thoughts on this episode of Strange New Worlds, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So when I first heard uh, the sort of basic plot outline for this episode, I wasn't really sort of looking forward to it that much, if I'm being perfectly honest, because I just feel that sort of the time travel style episodes in Star Trek have sort of been done to death a little bit, uh, particularly in sort of recent uh, recent years where we've had basically a whole season of Picard dedicated to um, sort of Star Trek trying to rectify or put make sure things happen in the past or the future to happen, you know, the, the usual the usual thing. Um, and, of course, um, it's all been done originally with the sitting on the edge of forever, which I've sort of heard that people have sort of drawn a lot of comparisons to um, with this story. Um don't think it really aligns with that particular uh, classic story at all but well call me surprised actually um i ended up really really enjoying this episode the whole time travel thing wasn't to be honest wasn't really overplayed um if i'm being perfectly honest i thought the sort of the link up between kirk and sing was really really well done i thought paul wesley and christina chong uh were really well together I'm hoping we sort of get to see a bit more of them um, acting together um, as it goes on. It looks like there's a bit of uh, a bit of romance there, certainly for the pair of them. Whether this will happen in this timeline or not, probably not actually. But you know, it was it was nice to see. It was nice to see the Lan character sort of loosen up a little bit uh, towards the end. And it was shame that yet again a character to go through yet more personal pain and so on and so on ended up you know with her crying on her own. Um, in her cabin, which I thought was a bit, I thought, oh come on, cut the character a bit, a bit of slack here. Let her have a happy ending, just just for one episode, you know. But hey ho, that that appears to be the 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 course that this particular character is on. With regards to Paul Wesley as Kirk, well, it's not Kirk as we know it, is it? We've seen him once before, again in an alternate timeline. Um, I hope they don't do this too often um, with Kirk um, in Strange New Worlds. Um, otherwise, it'd be a little bit like, you know, um, South Park and Kenny. Um, you know what I mean? Sort of killing him off all the time. And the next episode, he's back um, 
for no reason or this reason. You know, it's it's an alternate time. They can kill him off as much as they like. Hope they don't keep you know going back to well on that one. I like the thing with Pelia as well with the archaeology department, which was just a, a a sign on a on a derelict house, which I really quite liked. Um, I like her character as well. Even though I do struggle to understand what she's uh, what she's saying, the the accent that Carol Kane uh, deploys is uh, well, yeah, somewhat a little hard for me to understand sometimes. But uh, that's that's my problem. Um, I think the uh, okay, we've got the Romulans involved in the time travel thing again as well. Yeah, okay. But okay, it was well done. We didn't know she was a Romulan right until the very end. Uh, I suppose it was pretty obvious that she would be something to do with the uh, the attack on blowing up the bridge. Uh, but hey ho, um, she wasn't really uh, in in effect. But uh, yeah, she's making sure that things happen and, and sped up the the whole um, sort of humankind not progressing as as much as it should. And then we come to, well, the elephant in the room as far as La Noonien Singh is, is concerned is Khan Noonien Singh. And I know, I think a few people have mentioned that the the timeline now has all gone out of whack um, with regards to when we first saw Khan Noonien Singh in Space Seed um, because he's um, he was sort of put on that ship, I think, in the, in the 90s, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, and this in the 2000s, um, he's just a little boy. And I suppose it goes to say that, you know, what the Romulan agent uh, said, you know, no matter what they do, time seems to reinsert these events a little bit later down the line. So it's always going to happen, whatever they try to do. So it makes me wonder why they're bothered to try and kill Khan anyway. But anyway, um, nice to see that Loan confronted her past, literally confronted her past. And it was just a, a scared little boy. Um, makes you wonder... What she did somehow affects what he becomes in the future. Uh, I wonder if that we're going to return to that at some point. Uh, but hey-ho. But hey, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I thought that the two characters played for each other really well. It was nice to see him strained without any tech. Yeah, I just thought it was it was really good. I like the the okay. I think the thing with the watch was <laughs> was stretching a little bit as a makeshift uh, tricorder. But hey-ho, the plot demanded it. There we are. It was a way to bring back Pelia and her 900 years on Earth. Uh, so that was uh, that was nice. Uh, I've only say my one little criticism of it. I think it's a criticism of this series so uh, so far. Anson Mount, when 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 are they going to have the lead actor actually actually do something in his show? Um, the lead of the show? yeah, I, I don't know. It's very Anson Mount light, Captain Pike light at the moment. I like to see him back um, back in it, but uh, a bit more as the episodes come along. But it is nice to see other characters uh, given something to do. Um, so that's uh, you know that that's always good. And that's what Star Trek's always been about. It's always been an ensemble piece, hasn't it? Um, so we all you, you know you need to get those characters something to do uh, throughout the season. Um, so there we are. So with regards to scoring, well, I think I'll give it a good, I'll give it an eight out of 10 only because, you know, I enjoyed it, but come on, Captain Pike, let's have some Captain Pike. All right then guys, speak soon. Bye-bye. Cheers for that, Phil. And our second piece is from Steve Hatcher. Uh, it's from the Hoover's Doctor Who group in Derby. Hi, this is Stephen Hatcher from the Hoover's Doctor Who group. Strangely Worlds, 
Season 2, Episode 3, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Mm. Yeah, that's a quote from Macbeth uh, by my fellow Warwickshire man, William Shakespeare, the title of this episode. And that tells us straight away that we've got a time travel episode. Hurrah, a time travel episode. Mm. Well, with last week's confirmation of Lan's family connection to the mass murderer Han, Noonien Singh, the security officer is going through a hard time. Dr Mbenger advises her to talk to someone rather than bottle things up. Well, then a mysterious stranger turns up in a flash of light and hands Lan a piece of unknown technology, telling her she has a mission in the past to, to avert a disaster. There's a bit of a wobble in the time stream and Lan finds herself on an alternative version of the uh, Enterprise, captained by James Kirk. Accidentally activating the strange piece of technology, Lan and Kirk travel back to late 21st century Toronto, where the pair join forces to complete Lan's mission to avoid an alien attack. However, things go badly wrong, and Lan finds herself faced with the classic time travel dilemma. Do you kill Hitler as a child? That one. But this time it's more personal than that. Well, as I said before, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is in a long line of Star Trek episodes in which the Enterprise, or whichever ship is concerned in each series, travels back into Earth history. And this one maintains the tradition that these episodes are thoroughly enjoyable. For the third time this season, we have an episode in which most of the cast are largely sidelined. And the focus here is squarely on Lan. And we discover that her heritage weighs heavily on her shoulders, but that she's capable of taking the hard decisions to secure the universe as she knows it. Christina Chong is once again excellent as Lan and carries the episode effortlessly. Much interest, of course, will centre on our first sight of Paul Wesley as James Kirk. Thank heavens, Wesley is superb in the role, making this alternative universe Kirk entirely his own, but also giving us enough of Shatner's Kirk to allow us to believe this is the same man without it being an impersonation. He's no John Culshaw or, uh, or some such. Hopefully, we will be seeing him again in future episodes. So, Lan and Abs uh, in future episodes. Hmm. How terrific it is also to see a story set in the beautiful city of Toronto, here playing itself, as opposed to in so many TV shows where the Canadian city stands in for various US locations. It is a great location, and I want to see more of it. Lan ends the episode unhappy at what she's been put through and expressly forbidden from talking to anyone about it, which is precisely what Dr Mbenga advised her to do at the start of the episode. Well, it's to be hoped she can be allowed some peace in the future. Well, to conclude, a smashing episode. For the third time this season, a really watchable, good, entertaining episode with some nice ideas involved in it. Some of them we've seen before, some new ones there as well. Okay, hope to talk to you next week then. Bye. Thank you very much for that, Steve. I woke up this morning, put on my red shirt. Oh. Right. Oh.
Okay, and this brings us to our red shirt portion of the afternoon for me, evening for you folks. (laughs) 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 And uh, Deb Deb and Sookie are limbering up for this. And so the question, I guess, does, does Andrea's vote for Deb count since she's abstentia? We- uh, we'll see what happens. We'll okay. use that as a deciding vote at the end, maybe. <laughs> okay. See, this is tough because, you know, folks have been so nice to invite me on the podcast. I don't really want to. Yeah, I was the only one that you know. invited you on, you know, so just remember that. The rest. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, they they, they, they give it, couldn't give a toss. I, couldn't. I, I did say nice things about you on Twitter already, Sookie. Yeah, you know. but I'll, 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 I can take more. And I, I don't mind. <laughs> But see, I think I'm going to have to vote for Deb this episode because she failed to bring up Jason Isaacs during oh, actually, that's valid. the main discussion. Yeah. Mm. And that's just, that's your thing, Deb. So I'm that is have valid, to actually. You. That is very poor. I, t- I take that on board. Okay. Um, well, I, my last appearance on this podcast i i voted for deb so i think to readdress the balance it's gonna to have to be sookie isn't it and really three and a half out of five no way but i weren't the lowest scorer still was... you're, you're the only one i can red shirt no, you, you, there's other there's other options there on your screen right there you don't have to go for me <laughs> just because you've not for been deb talked out of it oh man oh, dear me Oh, so that's one for Deb and one for Sucky. I was going to redshirt Andrea because Suki likes, he really wants to be redshirted. Um, and Andrea has abandoned us and gone off to, uh, and, and also she wanted to redshirt me. Um, and uh, yeah, she's off at, at Fintory Park for a, a pulp concert, which... Uh, it, that sounded absolutely brilliant, but uh, miss her. <laughs> but um, but since there's a chance I won't be redshirted, and uh, because he's way too smug, Suki, redshirt. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so I was going to vote Deb, just. But <laughs> now because Andrea suddenly came out, you know, it's a thing now, and I'm pretty sure it's not a thing to vote for Andrea. <laughs> I'm pretty Andrea- sure. Does vote for me more than you? Yeah, I have noticed. You know, and, and I've never it. voted for Andrea, but I'm saving it for next week. <laughs> yeah, wait till she's on the podcast. I'll back yeah. you then. But yeah, I can't vote for um, Deb. Uh, uh, so just to make sure, I have got two votes. So whoever I vote for means I can actually be the red shirt. <laughs> right so i am going to vote, i'm going to do a joint vote right for drew and rachel because they've been excellent on this podcast and i hate it i really do i, I just don't <laughs> understand why we keep getting top notch presenters to come onto this podcast and shaming the rest of us it's just terrible uh so i am voting it's a double vote for drew and rachel fair enough okay i'll take that right. <laughs> so as as on the red shirt again Uh, how would you like to get rid of me that's a really good question isn't it oh let's see got to be some temple mechanics get involved in here time travel the easy way out that i think we should not take is one of those little disintegration buttons 
Mm. You yes. don't get you don't get that one. Um, I could get a faulty one. I could be there stabbing myself <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> we should have thought of this before, shouldn't we? It can't be this hard to get rid of me. Come on, people. Mm. Well, what 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 does a photonic bomb do? Like <laughs> makes things go bang. Does it just explode? Is it like implosion, explosion? What are those? At least behind some pretty, some pretty uh, residue. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. I could be blown up by a phonic, whatever it is, bomb it is, whilst playing chess on the bridge. And uh, why am I trying to uh, make my own death? <laughs> okay. Because people. you want this to end. I do want it to end. <laughs> Was that shot by shot by a Romulan agent from the shot future? By, shot by a Romulan agent from the future, and to go off into the sunset with James T. Kirk and a model of interest, Keeler yeah. and Christine. Oh. oh, Jackie Collins, not Jackie, yeah, John yeah. Collins. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was quite nice, wasn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. All right. Uh, so, Rachel, how are you finding? How did you find your first excursion onto our podcast? It was good. It was a it was a lovely time. Really enjoyed talking Trek with you folks. But yeah. It's been a while since I've been able to to do that on a mic. So, for all those people, yeah. Rachel has actually been like a part of our podcast for many years. <laughs> in that she she has been Schrodinger's librarian. Yeah. You can take off the mask now, right? Because we've never known who Schrodinger's librarian was. And so uh, I decided to uh, reach out, and it turns out it was Rachel, the lovely Rachel. Uh, So, yeah, so we've managed to uh, um, unmask her for the podcast. That's Uh, right. I've always enjoyed your feedback as well. And, uh, um, yeah, so it's always... uh, Lovely to see you in person, yeah. and I love your hair. No one oh, else can you see so that. Much. This is a treat, a treat yeah. for us here. I just, I just freshened it up, so it's it actually yeah. kind of matches. I don't know if you saw my T-shirt that I'm wearing. It's got a oh, yeah, very yeah, nice. nice. I love yeah. it. It's got very the, nice. Sorry, I'm very attached nice. to the whole thing, but uh, I just like. And true, true. <laughs> I love your head. Yeah, I was, I was just saying you didn't s- notice my haircut, did you? You didn't know, comment on that. <laughs> I know straight away. I know straight away. Uh, I think it's magnificent dome of a head there. Lovely. It's camouflaged by skin. It's the Picard look. <laughs> oh, it is, yeah. Uh, how did you find it, Drew? Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, excellent. Bit nervous the first time. Feel settled now, and yeah, and and Rachel is excellent. It, the whole experience is really good fun. Good. Make sure you tell all your fellow people on Twitter or whoever you've got friends out there that would love to have uh, co-presenters. Well, I have at the at the moment still got two vacancies left. Episodes eight and nine. Uh, we have a special guest for episode ten, in that one of our old regular presenters, John, has agreed to come back. For the, the finale of the season, splendid. Yeah, Tell so. us all about his latest wood. Yay! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, next week's uh, episode, we will be having Sarah, and then followed by Steve on the uh, episode after that. So we will be having a double whammy of the Davis family for the next two weeks. But yeah, uh, thanks to Rachel uh, 
for this episode and Drew for stepping into uh, when we uh, at short notice as well for jumping on when uh, Andrea decided to go off and not bother do the episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I terrible. Well, priorities, you know, concert or a podcast. Obviously, a podcast. Obviously, oh. but you know, one of them things. Anyway, Rachel, yeah. sign us up, Dad. Okay, so this has been trek this out podcast and we have just discussed season two episode three of strange new worlds tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow i have been rachel also known as schrodinger's librarian on twitter while it's still going i am at far flung hope five and it's goodbye from the rest of us as well then bye bye <laughs> bye, bye. So listener feedback, starting with this excellent feedback from Marcus. Marcus Strange, Squires. Marcus Squires. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, this feedback. is quite good because it gives Suki more to edit. You know, we don't want him to get bored. <laughs> I try not to. <coughs> Shut up, Deb. Let me carry on. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Good. So, listener feedback starting. Are you ready, with... Suki? I mean, I, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> this is going at the end. One more time, Devin. I'm going to make you read it first. No, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but you're going to do Davy before I do Marcus? You want me to do Marcus and then you do Davy? You can do whichever order. You're in charge. Thank you for listening, and you can find us all on Twitter as a group. You can find us on at Trekless Out Pod, or you can go to our Facebook page at Trekless Out. Just uh, Google that. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter as uh, Sidemat underscore one five one. So you can find me on Twitter as at Vintage1983V if you're into Star Trek shitposting um, and a lot of other thirst. Um, if you particularly like to follow me Star Trek art, um, have a look on Instagram for Vin of the Basement. Uh, and I'm just Lofty, L-U-F-F-D-E-E on Twitter. But if you are interested in knowing our obsession about Jason Isaacs, um, you can find me, Kat and Andrea posting weird stuff about Jason Isaacs. Hashtag Team Basement.